We remain standing for the reading of the gospel. This morning's lesson from John, the 10th chapter, beginning at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, whose own the sheep or not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hireling and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me. As the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are out of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will heed my voice. So there shall be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you. Be seated. Our children are dismissed to go to Children's Church. I just love it when some of them sprint from this room. And others have this marvelous, restrained ability to walk as if their lives have been threatened if they do that. (laughs) He was a baby boy with the misfortune to be born in the wrong year, in the wrong time, in the wrong place. Born blind. No school for him. Just parents who slowly or suddenly realized that he was blind and that it would be a life of dependency and that there'd be no one to care for them in their old age. And he would be their shame. Because their world knew nothing of genetics, nothing about all the things that could possibly go wrong, all the things that have to go right for a healthy child to be born. And so they sought some explanation for this blindness And they decided sin was the explanation. Did this boy sin? His mother, his father. Who? And so they commenced a life living under a cloud of suspicion. And Jesus came to town and the religious elite sought to pigeonhole him for their argument with this either or. Either this man or his parents sin. Which one, Jesus? And I love his response. He made a mud pie. Put it on the man's eyes and go wash it off. And the man can see. I, I just can't imagine living in darkness and then suddenly you can see all the color. You can see everybody's face. You can see all the things you've associated with, with sight, or with sound and with smell. And now, now you can see it. Wow. But they don't believe his story. 
these religious people don't believe him. And they accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath law. Can't have you doing doctor stuff. Can't have you playing in the mud on a Sunday, a Sabbath day. They ask the parents, but they've spent a lifetime of shame. And shame's a hard habit to break. And they don't back up their son. And these religious elites throw the man out. He doesn't fit their religious narrative. Along the way, they claim that they're disciples of Moses. Remember Moses? Sent by God to free the slaves? Go to Pharaoh. Well, who shall I say sent me? And God says, tell him the I am sent you. I love that. No modifiers, no adjectives, nothing more, just that I am. No limits. And these who claim that have limits. And the Gospel of John is built around these simple words, I am. But I think the Gospel also realizes that we're human beings and we need something to kind of help fill out the image And so John's gospel provides us with things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. And in this conversation, it takes place right after what took place with the blind man. And Jesus' conversation really fits all over that story. It's all part of one story. The sheep, the man born blind, the wolves, the clergy predators, the hireling, more clergy, or perhaps even parents who don't back up their son. If you read the whole passage, you find time and again where it says that the sheep know the shepherd's voice before and after what we read and implied in what we read. And it's important to ask, how do we know the good shepherd's voice? And how, we, how do we distinguish it from the howling wolves? Here the predatory clergy have raised their voices against this blind man, voices he's heard all of his life. They don't believe him, they they shame him, they judge him, they exclude him. They steal his humanity, making him merely a prop for their theological foil. And sometimes our own wolves snarl in the dark. You're not good enough. Can't you ever do anything right? You don't deserve anything good. Voices that shame our looks, our sexuality, our very being. Predators of mind and heart. And sometimes the wolves howl. They're all across the landscape now. Mark Jones passes himself off as a political commentator. He's always knee-deep in some conspiracy theory. He's particularly enjoyed passing off the conspiracy theory that the Sandy Hook Elementary School slaughter was just a hoax and that the parents are actors. But when taken to court for divorce from his wife, he had a different story. He said he just engages in hyperbola for entertainment. I am not entertained by calling grieving, traumatized parents liars. 
Laura Ingram has a national stage, and she belittles a teenage survivor of the trauma at Parkland. Is this our national discourse? Voices of lying, bullying. They're predators. They're howling wolves. Jesus says here that my sheep know my voice, the good shepherd's voice. What's that voice like? I think it's playful and inviting. You ever seen a shepherd? A real honest-to-goodness shepherd? Not, not the white hippie Jesus that we portray here in a gentle lamb. I've only seen one in the mountains of Macedonia on our way to a Turkish village to teach hospice care. There was a shepherd out in the field, raw day, windy, misty, a day. I'd just rather stay inside out there in the field. And one look and you knew he was somebody you really did not want to mess with. And how interesting that Jesus adds the adjective, the good shepherd. Because people who really did this kind of work were immersed in it with the sheep constantly, constantly dealing with danger, constantly doing affectionate things for the sheep, taking care of them. But they were a rough lot. I think about coaches I had in Little League and how during practice almost every instruction came with some profanity. And we'd play a baseball game, and on the way home, they would take us to a local bar. I never bothered to tell my Baptist parents that we did that. (laughs) And I heard things in that bar that my parents certainly were not trying to teach me at home. They would have thought coach was a good metaphor for God. But I think it helps me understand that there's the need to say, the good coach Jesus adds that word, I think, as a playful way of saying that God is more than what they've seen, more than they have imagined, and more certainly than these under-shepherd clergy. It's playful, but it's also cutting in its commentary. And he made a mud pie. I love that part of John's gospel, the ninth chapter. He engaged in child's play, forbidden child's play. It was Sabbath But his mud pie making makes fun of their starched up rules. There's this strict adult kind of thing, and over here's a child playing. So here's mud in your eye, not just for the blind man, but for these religious elite who are concerned with their theological arguments and not concerned for the blind man. And interestingly, in this playfulness, that mud pie making, there is healing. I like what one man said to me once. He said, I tell jokes because it's my way of saying I'm more than a tumor. The humor here invites us to laugh at ourselves and our starchiness, to transcend our situations and step back and see a bigger picture The voice of the shepherd is playful. 
It's also protective, I think. The, the hireling runs away. I don't know about you, but I don't want to do any fighting with a wolf. I get a little anxious when I knock on somebody's door and a chihuahua starts barking. <laughs> the parents don't speak up for the young man. Afraid to speak their truth to religious power. Protective voice. Years ago in Missouri, a friend of mine, Alan Hines, he and I would go to the field house at the university that they left open at noontime for people in the community to play basketball if they wanted to. And we went as often as we could, play for an hour, go back to work. We often played against a guy about six foot three, and I would learn over the time that he had a reputation for being a bully, for deliberately picking fights and then beating somebody with an inch of their lives. One person even gone to the hospital. On this particular day, I didn't worry about him. He'd never done anything or said anything to me. On this one particular day, he turned and threw the ball at me and threatened me with things I really didn't want to have happen to me. I felt incredibly vulnerable in a split second. And my friend Alan Hines stepped between us immediately and said simply, no, you won't. I still hear his voice. And I still celebrate the next day when that man and his good buddy discovered that Alan was a Missouri State Highway Patrolman. This protective voice stepped between the vulnerable person and the predator. I have a good friend in Bill Rogers. You may not know his name. He's long retired now, but he was a Baptist pastoral counselor. I remember years ago, his telling in a session about having a couple come in to see him and pointing out their 11-year-old little girl because she'd been acting out and she was the problem. He listened for a few moments, and then he stopped them and invited that 11-year-old girl to come sit by him. And then casually draped an arm on the chair around her and turned to the parents and suggested to them that the real problem was theirs and that she was simply the designated person who was bad. And he invited them to work on their stuff. This protective voice of the shepherd that steps between the vulnerable and the predator. And it strikes me that on our staff, Lauren does this. Stepping between the predators and the vulnerable. Reminding us, calling all of us to justice, which is all that is. And everything that that is. With all of his talk about sheep and hirelings and wolves and mud pies, Jesus has put his arm around this man and protected him. And it's a voice that includes, he says, I have sheep that are not of this fold. Nobody in my Baptist heritage ever preached on this when I was growing up. 
But he says this, I have other sheep. I have blind beggars who are mine. I have poor who are mine. I have women that you don't count, they're mine. I have people of other races and other languages, they're mine. I have people of other ethnic groups, they're mine. Don't put limits on the I am. For us, maybe this is just a story, but for Jesus, it's a dangerous struggle for decency. The kind of thing that gets you killed. Indiscriminate loving puts you in jeopardy. I'm struck that in almost every school shooting, there's some story that emerges about a teacher who stepped in the way, who stood between students and killer, and laid down their lives. Didn't have time to stop and think about it. Love just compelled them. It's a voice that includes, and when you do that, you're laying your life down. And it's the voice of this this good shepherd that's always with us, the the quiet voice of the one who calls the, the wolf or that which bothers the sheep, the burrs, the bugs. A voice that's raised in battle, fighting the predators. The voice that's there in the night. The voice with us. Friday night here at Friday Church, I think I saw Kathy ask if there were birthdays to celebrate. It was a small crowd. No birthdays. And then with such sweet wisdom, she asked if there were any sobriety anniversaries to celebrate. And a couple of hands went up. One, an older African-American woman. And one, a very young white woman. And they came and we celebrated their birthdays and then we went on to sing. And the African-American woman really got into the spirit of that. She was dancing in the aisle. And all of my Baptist forebears have rolled over in their graves a couple of times over that. (laughs) And at the end of that service, she had that same young woman by the hand. And she had another young woman who, to me, looked even younger by the hand. And they're going out this door. They're on their way to the Narcotics Anonymous meeting downstairs. I got you. I'm with you. I know what this struggle is like. It's still my temptation. Let's go together. And I think I'm seeing a good shepherd. One who stands with them between the predator of addiction and their vulnerability. And it struck me they were all called to be these shepherds, these good shepherds. And it strikes me that when we stop judging and start including, that we realize that the gospel is just everywhere around us. Amen.
we sing a hymn. It's in your bulletin. Chance to reflect, chance to respond, a chance to make pilgrimage with us if you wish. We stand together to sing, please, this hymn.